0: Welcome to more than Amused podcast. My name is Sadie. I'm Stani and I'm so excited about this
1: episode. Not only is it like so timely for so many reasons, first off, like happy 4th of July week for those True. who celebrate,
0: mm-hmm. but
1: also um, we had an incredible interview with the author of a book that comes out next week. Plenty of time for everyone to go and pre-order, and we would highly encourage you to do so. The book is called First to the Front, The Untold Story of Dickie Chappelle, Trailblazing Female War Correspondent. It's by Larissa Reinhart, and like we said, comes out on July 11th.
0: And not only did we have the pleasure to read this book, but we also got to talk with Larissa, and that is what the bulk of this episode today is. Just, uh... Man, Dickie Chappelle, one of my new favorite human beings ever. I know.
1: She's a freaking hero. Like, seriously. How do you even describe her? She was one of the very first female war correspondents, which means that she was in the middle of the war. Yeah, going on, taking photos and writing articles back. And she also happened to be the first American female journalist killed while covering combat. And that was definitely because of her fearlessness, just jumping into the middle of literally bullets
0: mm-hmm. in order to send stories back to everyone at home. And she did that through world war II and into the Vietnam war. So yeah. pretty major events in us history. And yeah, it was, it was incredible. I, Mention it many times during our conversation with Larissa, but like when i finished this book just tears were just streaming down my yeah. face and well, i cried so, so many, many moments, times yeah that <laughs> it made me emotional or that i was like reading it and it was like <laughs> i was watching a movie because it was like no like i was almost like audibly just responding to it because it was so good and so if you're looking yes. for a book to read hello pre-order it right now It's amazing.
1: Not only is it like an incredible story about an amazing person that was like erased from history. It's also just like so beautifully written. She said she wrote it in the style of like an old adventure story. And you can definitely tell like, but even like the sentences themselves are just like beautifully written. So
0: I honestly think anyone would enjoy this. I fully agree. Before we dive into the talk that we had with Larissa, uh, we're just going to give a Brief overview on who Dickie is. We kind of just jumped right into talking about her and about the book because I was just too excited to do that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so this will give you the backdrop of who she is. Obviously, if you haven't read the book, you can still listen to the interview. You'll definitely understand what's going on. So,
1: Dickie Chappelle was born as Georgette Louise Meyer on March 14th, 1918. She Lived in Milwaukee, Wisconsin for her early life. By the age of 16, she actually was attending aeronautical design classes at MIT. She ended up dropping out because she wanted to learn how to pilot airplanes instead of designing them. Her parents were not very thrilled with this, among a lot of things. So they sent her to live with her grandparents in Coral Gables, Florida. And when writing press releases for air shows while she was there, which paid really good money, it led to an assignment in Cuba and... Getting the story on the Cuban air show disaster, she managed to submit a very timely article to the New York Times, which got her noticed by an editor at Transcontinental and Western Air. And then she moved to New York City, where she lived pretty much for the rest of her life. Yeah, I, I think so. Mm-hmm. Except for the times that she was out on the war front, of course. Which
0: seems um, like most of the time. <laughs> yes.
1: Yeah. And seeing this like desire and everything for journalism, she decided to take a photography class in order to, you know, be a better journalist Mm because you couldn't just write the story. You had to take the photos. And so she took weekly photography classes with Tony Chappelle, who ended up becoming her husband and is kind of a garbage human being.
0: Yeah, Uh (laughs) we didn't talk about him in our
1: interview,
0: but mm -hmm. public enemy number one, Tony Chappelle. (laughs) Seriously, they would later
1: divorce, but she did keep- his last name. So that's what she's known by. She eventually quit her job at Transcontinental Western Air to complete a portfolio, which she sold to Look Magazine and then was hired as a press liaison for the New York office and continued. And oh, the rest is history. I know. I'm like, and then she just went on to report on All of the most important moments in history for Mm the
2: next however many years. Yeah, (laughs)
1: before she was killed in combat. Yeah, Uh, one thing that's really cool: her body was repatriated with an honor guard consisting of six Marines, and she was given a full Marine burial. We talked about in an episode. They literally called her one of them, and then her story was abandoned and forgotten (laughs) until Larissa Reinhardt was able to bring it to the forefront of everything again. So, incredible incredible story. That is obviously the briefest, smallest little sum up. There's so much in the book about everything like her marriage, her childhood,
0: how she managed to get to the front lines <laughs> <Yeah>. of
1: <these laughs> the front lines of the places. war.
0: <laughs> and yeah, it's truly it's so inspiring. It's incredible. I'm inspired to be better now because I've read that book. I know.
1: And I think it's such a good book for July, especially like we said, this comes out the 4th of July week, but also just like we talked about it in this episode too, but like everything that's happening in America right now and like how easy it is to get like disenchanted by like the country that you live in. Like it was so empowering to like read this story and see someone who saw like the ugliest moments of the world and still believed in like the good of the people. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's just incredible.
0: I think so too. So enjoy this chat that we have with Larissa Reinhardt. Before we started recording, we were already gushing about how much we love this book. But first, will you give us just a very brief introduction? on you, the bite-sized version, of course, however much you want to share.
2: Yeah. So thank you so much, first of all, for having me on. I've been such a fan of your show and your content for a long time. Like, mm-hmm. I feel like I'm always commenting on your Instagram posts. We love it. Thank um, you. <laughs> yes, we do. But, no, absolutely. I'm like, oh, am I doing too much? But in any case, um, yeah, my name is Larissa Reinhardt, and I write about war art and women's history and where those things you know, intersect, which is not always, but when they do, it's, it's quite, quite fascinating. And writing, I I always think it's important to say, you know, writing was not my first profession. It was like my fourth profession. So just all those folks who are you know, thinking about starting writing and they're like me older than 20. I won't, I won't divulge (laughs) my actual age, but it's, you know, it's always a good time to start writing. So I was a waitress for a long time Then I managed restaurants and I worked in the arts, then I worked in real estate. And, um, you know, then I finally came to my first love of writing and this is my first book that is published. So I'm very, very, very happy to be here. I feel like that's, that's such amazing. a thing with
0: creative people too, where it's like the life path is so just everywhere. I think that's like the one thing that makes every artist's path the same is that it's it's everywhere before <laughs> it's we everywhere. finally reach to where we like, you know, are doing what we maybe want to be doing or
2: something. Exactly. Exactly. But it's all, you know, it's all so important to understand the totality of life. In mm-hmm. order to be, mm-hmm. you know, uh, a successful artist and creator, so uh, I love my sort of sorted past of strange and odd jobs.
0: Yeah, no, I, I absolutely love it too, and can relate, of course. <laughs> yes. um, I have to say though, it's so
1: impressive. I've seen like reviews for your book coming in, like the fact that this is your first book and it's already everywhere on like the lists of must-read for the summer
2: and everything. That's Awesome. Oh, thank you. Well, first of all, I had, you know, this book I love. I have known about Dickie Chappelle, the subject of my book, for a long time, um, since high school, really. So she's lived with me for a long time. And so I had a really great understanding of her. And then so much of what she does, what she's about, you know, reporting on war, photography, women's rights, feminism, Mm -hmm. but also social justice. I'll speak to this, you know, uh, I'll speak to so many of my experiences before coming to write this book. So I'm, that's so nice of you to say, and I, and I appreciate that. And I also feel like, you know, I was able to put my whole self into this book. Um, yeah. and then I also had a wonderful editor, mm-hmm. um, Hannah O'Grady to whom I am eternally, eternally grateful. Um, I don't know if I'm jumping ahead, but you know, my That's first okay. man- my first manuscript that I came to her was literally twice as long as this. It was like <laughs> amazing. I yeah. love that. I was just like in my little writing studio, which was a clot, like a walk-in closet, mm-hmm. you know, that I converted into a writing studio, just like pouring like every piece of information and every emotion that I had, you know, into it. And she was so kind, she's like, this is great but I think we should cut it. (laughs) (laughs) Fine. Um, That actually
0: answers a question that I was so curious because I mean, big part of what we do on the podcast is like finding women and telling their stories. And it's always kind of fun how we find these women. So Mm. you said you've known about Dickie Chappelle since you were in high school. How did you first come to hear
2: her name and start learning about her? Yeah. So I heard her name first on an album by Nancy Griffith and Nancy Griffith is herself an incredible, you know, Americana folk musician. She recently cool. passed away unfortunately, but she was one of my favorite artists growing up. And when her album, A Clock Without Hands, you know, came out, I went down to my local record store and I bought the CD because that's, mm-hmm. you know, how, what age I am. I used to buy CDs and she, I think the second track on it is called A Pearl's Eye View. And it's about Dickie Chappelle. And she's singing about Dickie Chappelle jumping out of planes and, you know, covering World War II and, and the Vietnam War and everything in between. And so I, you know, this was right before I went to college. And so I, I really internalized her as a folk hero. Mm-hmm. And she really inspired me. Um, and and like my interest in social justice and my interest in the history of war You know in this sort of unconscious way because i would listen to the song all the time but sort of as we so often think of folk heroes we don't think about the person behind right their legend and so she wasn't a legend to everybody but me being a bit of a nerd she was a legend to me but i didn't think about her as a you know actual person and it wasn't until I was doing my master's degree um, and I was writing about the cassette letters, uh, like recorded letters that uh, GIs would send home during the Vietnam War uh, that I came across her name again. Mm. And I started, you know, digging and diving into, into her legacy because I hadn't thought of her in a long time. And it was sort of a revelation like, oh, right, this this person that sort of really impacted me as a young woman um and, and I came to find out two things. one that she was absolutely incredible. and two, no one knew about her. no one knew about her legacy mm-hmm. And I was just, you know compelled to to find out more and to bring her story, you know, into the forefront um, of, of 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 a cultural conversation. Amazing,
0: which is like uh, the exact sentiments where I feel like sometimes it's like when we're doing this, we find these women and similar where it's like you almost forget they're people Mm -hmm. because they're almost like characters in your brain. But then you dive in and you learn more and you're just like, why doesn't everybody know this person? Like, this is so rich. This is so amazing and and inspiring. So absolutely. And
1: even like tiny things she did, like at the very beginning of the book, you mentioned the photographs that she took on the Samaritan and Mm -hmm. how it ended up being used by the red cross for like a hundred years. You know, like, it's just crazy to think that like, that's such a tiny thing, but like driving blood drives, you know, forward and helping people, you know, encourage the war effort in that way. Like that's such a tiny thing. And
2: yet that's so important. Mm -hmm. It it is so important. And I think that also speaks to the erasure of women's work
0: so often,
2: right? Like Literally saving hundreds, thousands of lives, tens of thousands of lives, you know, because when people are wounded in battle, what do they need most? They need more blood because they've yeah. lost so much. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, she on aboard the Samaritan, which was a hospital ship uh, in the Pacific uh, Ocean Theater during World War II off the coast of both Okinawa and Iwo Jima, but in this case, Iwo Jima, she you know photographed the soldiers being transported back from the beach onto the hospital ship where so many of their lives were saved because of this donated blood and so as you were saying yeah she made this very conscious decision to give her photos to the red cross as a as a mechanism for raising more donated blood
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: and it worked <laughs> it <Yeah>. worked
0: <laughs> which is incredible which is yeah just like one of those like unsung things that yeah, it's it's women's work in general goes underappreciated. I think for me too, reading this book, I mean, obviously now it's like the age of social media where it's like, to a certain extent, of course, world conflict, you in a way can just kind of see by normal average people just snapping pics on their phone or, you know, on social media, at least the potential is there. Um, so it was so interesting to almost like be reminded (laughs) that these journalists that they were choosing on their own accord to put themselves in these situations in the, because they realized it was important and Mm -hmm. it was necessary. And just like the sheer amount of just bravery, especially with her attitude of being like, how close can you get me? Yeah. As far (laughs) forward as you'll take me. Yeah, As far forward as you'll take me. That's, it's like I said, it was almost like, I don't know a lot about war, like you pretty much introduced me to a whole segment Mm -hmm. of potential, almost like artists that we could, you know, potentially just dive into. I'm sure, you know, there's so many rabbit holes you can go down, but it was just like, oh my gosh, I had never thought about it. Like, how did we have those pictures? Who were those people who were risking their lives Mm -hmm. for this documentation, which is very important.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, as we know, so many um, journalists did die and Mm -hmm. continue to die in in the service of of documenting war and conflict yeah um and then the other thing that often happens is that they come back suffering from ptsd
1: Yeah. yeah and
2: that's really not talked about a lot and one thing that was really interesting to me was okay so because dickie was a woman she was often confined to hospitals right where Mm -hmm. women were already that's where she could be which meant nurses so she really got to see the totality of war the long view not just the battle she saw Mm -hmm. what happened after the battle and she was one of the only journalists talking about ptsd um after after the war and she herself suffered from ptsd she came back and she had a really intense stutter Um, and also, you know, was very melancholy, if not depressed Mm -hmm. and what sort of got her back with, you know, was able to ameliorate those symptoms was getting back to her work. And I think Mm -hmm. that's what a lot of folks who have PTSD do is that they throw themselves um, into their work. So as to your point, you know, these people do put themselves on the line. They put not only their bodies, but also their minds Mm-hmm. You know, on the line to to do this incredibly important work. And as we are watching events unfold in Ukraine, yeah, um, that's what I was thinking course. a lot about, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I just have such a clear understanding of after writing this book of what all these journalists are doing in order to bring us these incredibly important stories.
0: Going along with how you talked about how she would talk about like PTSD, I also loved how you talked about how she would obviously tell the story and kind of report on what she was finding, but also really point in the human connections and the people that she was talking to. And I'm sure that's like what made her able to relate to these people. But then also the fact that so many of them eventually I know there were some people who were not as big of a fan of her and tried to get her in trouble, but you know, that there were so many places and people that she met that took so warmly to her. And I'm Sure, it was because of that willingness and ability to connect with those people and just wanting to hear their stories. And yeah, I just thought that was really inspiring as well.
2: Oh, I'm so glad that came through because that was one of the main things that I wanted to convey about her is that Mm -hmm. she was incredibly empathetic and incredibly, I should say, one of her greatest talents was listening. Yeah. And and I think that is a, a skill that has to be learned over time, but is a journalist's most important asset, not necessarily the of the story, but the ability to hear the story that Mm -hmm. you then want to tell.
0: Absolutely. Um, I also want to ask too about what like the research process was for her. Like once you like had decided that this was someone you want to learn more about, how did you learn more? I read in the acknowledgments that you had
2: talked with her family. Is that correct? Yeah. So her, her brother, she did not have children. Her brother had children and they are the stewards of her legacy. And they, uh, you know, are understandably very protective of, of her legacy. Right. Mm -hmm. And they were incredibly generous in allowing me access to all of her archives and allowing me to really, quote at length. One of the most important things to me in writing this book was to make sure that her voice came through and Mm -hmm. her voice was heard. Mm -hmm. So for instance, there's a lot of dialogue um, in the book. All of that is dialogue that she recorded. I didn't make any of that up. And I really wanted her voice and experience to be directly inserted into the text. And it was because of them that I was able to do this, right? Because otherwise copyright laws you, you can only quote very, um, small bits and rightfully so. Mm -hmm. And I, I just, you know, forever grateful to them. Um, but then in terms of researching initially, um, as I mentioned there, you know, her work was very hard to find. And in fact, very few of her articles are available digitized at all. Right. Like I was doing my master's. I was at NYU. I had access to, every database, right? Every academic database on the planet, basically. And none of them had her articles, which were published in major magazines um, yeah. available. <laughs> and so though I was at NYU, I you know, was writing my master's, but then I moved to Los Angeles as I was writing it. Uh, Cause you don't have to be, you know, on campus to do that. And so I went down to the Uh, the only place I could find her articles was actually in public libraries on microfilm. (laughs) Like, like, I don't know if you folks are familiar (laughs) with microfilm, but if you watch a, a, you know, legal movie from the 90s, like the Pelican Brief, there's like really little film that you put in this giant machine and you scroll through it at like a thousand miles an hour until you come, you know, come to it. And so I was, you know, in the basement of the Los Angeles Public Library scrolling through the microfilm And, you know, reading her stories about Turkey and Vietnam and World War II, you know, and I I was probably one of the only people to do this for a very long time. Yeah. And yeah, (sighs) and I just had to, like, literally bring these stories back up into the light of day. And then so from there, I went to the Wisconsin Historical Archives, which is a fantastic institution. You know, if you're a researcher or an archivist or just a fan of old things, as I am, I highly recommend being a nerd and taking a vacation there. Um, but so I went I went there where her archives were, are because she's originally from Milwaukee. And I read everything that she ever wrote. Mm -hmm. like all of her journals all of her notebooks all of her letters everything I just sort of imbibed as much as I could um in order to to understand her not only her life but also her voice and her motivations
0: I think it definitely came through I mentioned before we started recording but like end of this novel or book I was weeping like and <laughs> there were so many moments in this um that I yeah. was just emotional I was actually first reading it like on a flight I had a uh, home from California and it was like really late at night and I was just like glued to my like computer screen just like I'm sure the person next to me was just like hearing me just like <gasps> no like I was <laughs> It's like I was watching a movie, you know, just like (laughs) listening to these stories. But I feel like the reason why is because you felt like you knew her because her tone was coming across. And I think that's so important, especially with the juxtaposition of the autobiography that was published, where Mm. I know you talked about the fact that the editors made so many like requests and changes that took away her voice. And wow, I really wish I would have been like we could have read the original autobiography fully in her own voice more because... Obviously you would have painted it such a better picture. So
2: I think it's really cool that mm-hmm. you're almost like helping her take her her narrative back in a way, I think. And you know, I don't want to be non-objective, right As a biographer, you're supposed to be objective, but that's what I did. that's that was one of my goals is to help her take her narrative back. you know, mm-hmm. as you mentioned, her editors really flipped her story. and I think she has a real sense in her original autobiography. she has a real sense of humility. Mm. And um, self-deprecating humor. (laughs) Yeah. And they flipped that to foolishness, right? Because that's Mm. a fine line. And you can easily do that. Um, You can go either way. And so because, very much because she was a woman and they called her, and then she called them out on this, they skewed her more towards, you know, like the ditzy dame to use the to use the um, terminology of the time, and they made it seem like she got her stories by sort of tumbling into them somehow, you know, by happenstance, when in reality, of course, it was just this incredible grit and tenacity um, that, you know, surpassed human understanding, (laughs) at Mm -hmm. least mine, you know. So, um, so yeah, so I really wanted, I really wanted that to come through. And I think to a large degree, her legacy, what there is of it continues to be painted with that, with that brush. And, mm-hmm. um, I think that's true of a lot of women, right? Like definitely, or that men, uh, are the reason that they succeed is, and I don't know why I'm reminded of this, but I'm a big swim fan, even though I don't swim, uh, but I love watching swimming and Katie Ledecky, of course, the wonderful American swimmer. I think it was like in the 2016 Olympics, some commentator said, Oh, her husband has done her cause her husband is her coach. Her husband really put a lot of work in to get Katie, you know, up to this level. And it's like, what? what are you talking about? <laughs> like, <laughs> Yeah, coaching is important, but you know what's more important—the athlete. So, um, so anyway, so I think uh, sh- she was likewise sort of her own accomplishments were muted by that idea. We see that so
1: frequently. It's disgusting. Actually, <laughs> yeah. how often they'll just turn every single woman's accomplishment into a accomplishment of whatever man was closest to them at the time
2: yeah just like like yeah. that guy standing over there look at him like it no probably relations. was him mm-hmm. yeah
0: literally <laughs> or as like you mentioned almost like a happy accident of like oh how did i get here to the front lines like this is oh, weird gosh. and it's like <laughs> yeah, no <this>
2: is weird.
0: <laughs> Like, I guess I'll capitalize on it. Like, yeah. oh, I have a camera, I guess. Oh, who knows? I guess I should. Oh, okay. I'll take some pictures. When, <laughs> in reality, you know, it was her over time. Cause I, what I also found so inspiring was it's not like in world war II immediately she was like a household name, you know, because mm-hmm. of the heroic work she did. Like it was campaign after campaign, after campaign all around the world before finally she was getting any type of no- notoriety at all. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I don't know. I was so relieved to hear that she was at a point recognized. Didn't you mention she was like a
2: answer on like a, not a, like a game show or something? No, like no, that? no, She what? was on a game show. Okay. Like that's this, what I thought it was. Yeah. It was like this game show. What is it called? I can't remember the name of it, but the idea is you have to guess like who the person who it is. is. Yeah, Yeah. And so she was famous enough that someone would be able to guess. Yeah, Yeah,
0: I I love those um, little anecdotes because I think it just shows it's like you're in enough in like the general public's consciousness that like they could put you on the game show. So I think it does a good job to like show the level that she had reached, which I was really relieved to hear because at least, you know, for a moment she was recognized. But my point was it's so interesting and like just shows how much she was just doing it so intently and so purposefully that it's not like it was like a, oh, I did this once and now I'm famous. So I guess I'll keep doing it. It was just her continuously wanting to be involved and do the right thing. And then finally she got some recognition for it. It's what's crazy
1: too, is that like, you were so able to show her desire for that. Like Mm -hmm. I can't even fathom like seeing a newspaper about a worldwide war and being like, I want to be on the front lines reporting on that. You know, like I would be like, I want to be as far away from that as possible. Mm -hmm. So it's just insane to hear about her like consistently wanting to get closer. Like she truly Mm -hmm. had that desire, that thirst to like be able to see it and report back in a way that like I could never, could them.
2: never <laughs> yeah. yeah and i mean and she, she's and not only is like oh let me get really close to the fighting it's like let me go on a ship without any guns Yeah, i'm being <laughs> you know bombed let me oh my ride on a mule through the you know algerian desert So I can march like in the mountains. Let me like risk imprisonment in Cuba so I can Mm -hmm. go in the jungle. Like, Mm -hmm. no, I do not want to do any of those things, but I know that she did. (laughs) Yeah. And yeah, I just, she had such an incredible, right. It's a rare, it's a rare combination. Yeah. She had this incredible thirst for adventure that she always had. Right. Like when she was a kid, I mean, really a kid She was a secretary at a flying circus, and and this is 1935, okay? So these are, like, really dangerous planes. Yeah. (laughs) And, And she took part of her salary in flying lessons, and so she learned how to fly a plane when she was, like, 18 or 19 years old, and, you know, it just built from there. It was something else, the next step, the next adventure, the next thrill, but you combine that with a sense, a deep sense of empathy and a real passion for social justice. Mm -hmm. And that's a rare, that's a rare combination. And that is a combination that will, you know, yield a lot of good reporting to put it mildly.
0: Yeah. To put it mildly. (laughs) (laughs) But, but definitely very good reporting. Another moment that I want to talk about kind of touching on the way that she was perceived differently because she was a woman was when she was imprisoned Mm -hmm. and instead of being seen as the war hero that she was it was uh, well she put herself in that situation Mm -hmm. which is appalling shocking anyways i was wondering if you could just talk
2: a little bit more about that yeah i didn't really want to go into it too heavily in my in the book Mm because i don't want to be pedantic but it's just like Understood. an echo of rape culture, right? Like, mm. you know, she went to Hungary to report on the revolution and the, you know, subsequent um Soviet-backed military coup. And she wanted to, you know, report on the freedom fighters who were there. But on her way, she was arrested by this um by the Hungarian secret police and imprisoned in Fo Street Prison, which was, you know, the most infamous, you know, um. To not a warm in, place to yes. in, in Budapest. And when she was released, so many of her male colleagues were just saying she deserved it. She knew what she was getting into. She probably wanted it. And their language, I mean, and I'm not making this up, nor am I exaggerating. Mm-hmm. And I was reading this, and this just sounds exactly how men excuse and explain rape yeah and you it really kind of opened my mind to how women are blamed for anything right that happens to them that is bad it's her fault it's not the fault of the system that is built around her it's not the fault of this one individual who harmed her it must be her fault and yeah I just really was shocked uh I was both shocked and not surprised right yeah by by this and another thing since you bring up the point um another thing that happens is you well know is that because of this we as sort of readers of history miss out on so much history because what women have recorded and women's experiences is either completely erased or utterly disregarded as not important. And Mm -hmm. that is an incredible loss to us as historians or, um, you know, cultural historians. Um, And so I, I wanted to both make the point that this happened to her and also try to bring home the idea that there's many, many, many other histories of hidden yeah and frankly plain sight um Mm -hmm. that I think will revolutionize and change the way we we view so many events
1: agreed I think that's something we run into all the time with the podcast that it's like and we've even talked about it how we feel I don't like part of our education was just like stolen from us like I feel that all the time with art history especially because it's just like why didn't we learn about this? Like, she obviously was like an important part of it. Why wasn't this included in my curriculum? Mm -hmm. Like, why did they feel the need to take this narrative from me? Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, it feels awful when you look back because you're just like they're not even that hidden they're usually right there yeah it's almost (laughs) like you just have to
0: slightly
2: just like lift something up you don't even have to lift a piece of paper up yeah Mm -hmm. exactly and helma afklimp right is very much people are talking about her now and i obviously love her you know she was well known in Mm -hmm. her time Right. It's not like she was unknown in her time. People knew who she was. People knew her work. Mm -hmm. And then it was the historians and history that wrote her out.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: Yes. Um, So, yeah, I mean, and the same is true with Dickie, as you were saying, you know, she was well known, but then suddenly she just disappears. Well, it makes it
1: look like a conscious effort to take the women out of the narrative and that's hard to excuse because then you're like, it's not just ignorance. Like someone went, well, we don't need this and like set it off
2: to the side. Oh, we go. Yeah. 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 And I think a lot of people ask me, why don't we know? Why don't we know about Dickie? Why don't we know about Dickie? And I think it's very much because she was her own best and in many ways, only advocate. Mm -hmm. And when she died, she didn't have another advocate at the time. Mm -hmm. And I think it's so important as sort of women, female identifying scholars to be advocates Mm -hmm. of these histories, you know? And that's what you're, I mean, I'm preaching to the choir. so. (laughs) So, but yeah, I mean, it is just so, ah.
0: I find it so poetic though that you did find her because there was a woman who told her story in her art, you know? And I Mm -hmm. I really feel like a lot of the time that is what happens almost like I hear about women that I cover on this podcast through reading about other women or through their correspondence and through their relation to the other women. So it's almost like at the very least, you know, like other women are somehow are trying to do it for each other in, in the ways that they can. And then it's like, like you said, like as scholars, as people who are doing this, it's like choosing Mm -hmm. to be those advocates that we can. Mm -hmm. And, and I think that it, I think it does do, it does do something and each effort is worth it because like I said, she wrote a song and then now the dominoes fall and now we have a book, you know, and it's, it's Mm -hmm. really amazing in that way.
2: Yeah. And I mean, I wish this book wasn't as relevant as it Mm is, you know, Mm -hmm. but at this moment, right. When we are seeing the former president emerge again with all of his desire to suppress the fourth estate and remove freedom of the press and then we see who who is the who are the people who are taking him on i mean time and again it is the female journalists who are challenging him more than anyone else mm-hmm. and the female journalists who are standing up frankly and i don't mean to be you know verbose but for our democracy and I am hopeful that this book will speak to their present strength and efforts, while also sort of informing a larger populace about, you know, the the tradition of mm-hmm. this and the history of women um, being at the forefront of um, journalism
0: yeah well i love too i just think that the one thing that it's at least consistent where it is women who are breaking the status quo because they're forced to they don't exist Mm -hmm. within it and so Mm -hmm. so because of that they are the ones who are willing to push back but it's almost like there's not a place for them within the boys club or you know in the group so they're like fine then i want to do this and so i'll innovate i'll do it this way and you know that's it's where the most important things i think come from but of course, coming from a bias source, obviously, but I <laughs> yeah. hold true to that.
2: <laughs> Biases um, can also often be true.
0: So there you are. <laughs> Thank you. But going back to even just what you just said, I think that something that I loved about this book is I think it simultaneously made me feel very optimistic while at the same time, very pessimistic. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think in the ways that it was supposed to, in the sense that like, it definitely like reaffirmed just, you know, like the joys of humanity and like, in the ways that the interconnections and how much like one person like truly can like make a difference, even down to the blood drive and, you Mm -hmm. know, like the things that she did there, Um, but at the same time, very pessimistic to the systems that do exist and almost just reminding us and reminded me like, Oh, we really do need to be critical of the powers that exist, especially when I was reading about the CIA and the Kennedy administration and everything. It was just like, oh no, like <laughs> there's just so much here that I don't understand. I, I mean, that part of history, it's hard to teach a high school history class because there's so much nuance and so many things that happen that were just really, really bad on our mm-hmm. side. So I don't, I personally don't know a lot about it. And so it was just like a good reminder of like,
2: mm-hmm. oh,
0: we are not the historic good guys that hi- we love to paint ourselves, you know, mm-hmm. through history. No. <laughs> and, and yeah, and yeah, it just... It's it just did both. I was like, I feel so inspired, but also just like, oh, this world, <laughs> yes, <I suppose. laughs> but hopefully in the right ways.
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think that's, I, I think that's a really speaks to, to Dicky Dickie's sense of optimism. And mm-hmm. she knew so many, not everything, but she knew a lot of the failings of America. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And I say this in the book, and this is you know, a a quote from Abraham Lincoln that she believed in America's better angels and she knew that it failed. She knew that it didn't live up to its promise, but she believed that it could. And she was willing to fight with her life to see that achieved or to contribute Mm -hmm. to that. And I think as we move into this moment where we are confronting a new wave of fascism, where we have challenges from climate change to the threat of um, artificial intelligence. You know, we it is important now more than ever to believe and fight for America's better angels, because for all of its failings, it does have a promise. And it's up to all of us to fulfill that promise. Mm-hmm. And I know that is a little, can seem naive and and cheesy, but I think this is a moment that really calls for sincerity. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, 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 I think, you know, Dickie's sincerity is an important voice at this, at this moment.
0: I fully agree. And I think that, yeah, reading her sincerity and reading that, it, it made me be like, Oh yeah. Like those are ideals that I want. And I mm-hmm. agree with her. And if she believed in it, then maybe that means we can too. And I think, yeah, that that's really, especially
1: powerful. with like how much she faced and like seeing all of the ugly and yet being able to still, you know, that makes it even more powerful. I think.
2: Yeah. She, yes. Because she, personally in sort of on a global level, she saw the worst of it and that I It speaks to all of our stories, right? Mm -hmm. Like we've all been discriminated against, abused, um, harassed as women, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And we see it happen on a global scale, but we have to continue working um, to change. Otherwise, sort of (laughs) nothing changes. Yeah. And we don't want to live in that world, you know? So. Absolutely. I also just love too how after
0: her, her death, it was very obvious, like the regard that the Marines had for her, like with the thing that said, she's one of us and we will miss her. Like, mm-hmm. Oh, I'm like getting choked up now. Just like, she was one of us. I just feel like that's so powerful. And I think that just speaks so truly just to who she was that, you know, that that's, that was the, you know, what they said in her honor. It was just so simple like she was one of us and we will miss her i was just like oh my gosh like that was when the tears started flowing it was just <laughs> oh it's so powerful
2: thank you yeah i mean she had a deep and abiding respect for fighting forces for armed forces mm-hmm. you know around around the world but she loved the marines yes the most you know she saw them on particularly iwo jima just Mm -hmm. being macerated, but sending themselves into battle in defense of democracy. And she was forever grateful and forever inspired. I mean, I Mm -hmm. think their bravery and their commitment really propelled her through the hardest, through the most difficult of times.
0: I think that's so cool too, mm-hmm. that it's like at the same time, she can be aware of the problems in the people who are controlling the chessboard, but then also look at the players and be like, I love and still respect you. And I know what you're doing this for. Mm-hmm. And again, I think that just shows like her empathy and her, the the human connection aspect
2: of everything that she was doing. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, going back to a point you made a while ago, you know, she was very welcomed by armed forces around the world. And I think precisely because of that reason, you know, she spent a lot of time, for instance, with the South Vietnamese um, armed forces, you know, the Marines, the special forces, the airborne. And the government of South Vietnam during the period that she was there was very corrupt, largely due to CIA intervention, right? Mm. And so she did not trust the generals. Um, who were appointed by by the government, by the president. But who she did trust were the people on the ground, the men on the ground fighting.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And and she didn't try to keep her distance. Like I think a lot of other journalists at that time, even if they were in the field, tried to keep their distance. Like she did not. She ate what they ate. She slept with it where they slept. You know, she took them out to dinner <laughs> when they got back. Like she was their friend. She was in it with them. And Uh, you know, they, among other um, armed forces around the world, like really respected and and saw that that she was one of their own as the Marines then Mm -hmm. later said. Overall, just so just beautiful, Mm -hmm. you know, with the life that she
0: lived and obviously the effects. And I love just how you brought up just how it can mirror so much of what we're seeing today. And I think that that's what I was thinking about. Like, I think there's a lot of like the disenchantment with like America that's maybe mm. been happening more so, at least from my point of view, within like the last, you know, five to eight years, kind of depending <laughs> on. And I think that that just mirrors so much with what her experience was like. And so, yeah, it was, it was just cool. I don't know, getting almost like, okay, cool. I'm not alone in this. And like, this is something we've all just had to like let go of and, you know, figure out, I guess.
2: Yeah. And I think so. I started high school. My first day of high school was September 11th, 2001.
1: Wow. Yeah. That's no, not a high school. day college. to start. Oh, okay.
2: Um, but yeah, so really my entry into adulthood was the 9 yeah. 11 era. Yeah. And I think there was a real, you know, for me, like I was very involved with the peace movement.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, and I think there was a real disenchantment, as you said, with America. But now what I'm seeing, and perhaps it's because I feel this way, but I really do see this because of the incredible activism and involvement by a younger generation is that it's not disenchantment, it's not disengagement, it is it, it it's engagement, it is the desire to make the system their own and to make democracy shaped after the people, perhaps Mm -hmm. at last. Um, And so that to me is incredibly um, exciting. And I, I think I'm almost more hopeful now than I ever have been, simply because I see so many people coming together, creating communities and making their voices heard Um, in ways that are real and productive. And I think when we see, and I'm a bit off topic, but we see so much pushback, right? We see so much pushback by the sort of Christian um, neo-fascist right. Well, of course we do, because they're being challenged for the first time, you know, in American history. And Mm -hmm. um, to me, their response should be met by even greater you know, force, but their response signals the fact that they are being challenged and um, they are losing. And Rebecca Solnit says so beautifully, you know, they are the dam, we are the river. And in the end, the river always wins. So
0: I think that too, then I guess that engagement just really matches what, you know,
2: Dickie did her whole life. So absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, and again, so cool. that's why I think this book is so topical I, at this mm-hmm. At this moment, and I'm I'm very glad it's it's coming out now, and I hope it is um, both both inspiring and informative. Um to folks not just to women but also to men you know Oh yeah
1: definitely I like I'm already planning I like pre-ordered so my copy will be here the day of release
2: Yeah
1: I'm like so excited to even like give it to my dad cuz he loves like war stories he's read so many books about World War ii and uh, especially like Okinawa and Hiroshima we lived in mm-hmm. Japan for a little while when I was younger and um Obviously, like it's more of a distant memory now, but back then it was still pretty relevant. Like, not, I mean, not super, but it was still a major part of recent history. Um, and so he like was very endeared to the Japanese people in their point of view and read a lot of books from both sides. And like, I'm so excited to give him this book. I think it's a great one for like there's so many memes about the World War II dads.
0: So.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: so I, I was literally yeah. FaceTiming my grandma and grandpa right before this. And I, Aww. you know, they're like, what were you doing today? I'm like, well, I read this book mm-hmm. and you need to read it too. So because oh my, my grandpa too is also like, mm-hmm. has read every single book on there about world war II, And I'm like, all right, grandpa, there's this woman that you need to learn about. So, <laughs> oh, that's yeah. so yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah. And I mean, that was part of, okay. So Dicky's favorite genre was sort of neo- noir, right? So I wanted to write her biography um, in this sort of noir adventure sort of mm-hmm. voice, yes. um, but with this underlying war story behind mm-hmm. it. Um, not specifically to appeal to male readers, but with the hope that they would be drawn in by it as well because it is such an exciting story and it does fit into that like mm-hmm. you know world war ii dad um <laughs> yes deech. so <clears> absolutely <throat> thanks for plugging my book with your folks i appreciate that oh absolutely <laughs>
0: like i said my, my dad, dad loved it too, copy too. Yeah. I, like, and... I, I read it on my laptop screen i need this physically like it's oh, incredible thank you
2: so much yes you're welcome really and, kind of you
0: um it, it comes out july 10th right july 11th july Okay, cool. 11th. yeah i checked so absolutely. that'll be a week after this episode comes out so yes if listening right now they can still pre-order right mm-hmm. for a week yeah
2: yes absolutely and um you know support your local bookshop shop mm-hmm. or um bookshop.org uh, is fantastic you know uh and, and yeah anywhere books are sold you can you can pre-order it perfect
0: yes well thank you again Mm -hmm. seriously yeah true pleasure just to read about dickie and yeah thank you for so much again for reaching out to us
2: well thank you so much for having me on what what a what a wonderful interview i really enjoyed talking with you both Well, thank you so much for
0: listening today. If you're a fan of the podcast, come follow us on Instagram, just morethanamuse.podcast where we'll be sharing all of our content. Also, I just realized, let's shout out her Instagram. It's just Larissa Reinhardt, L-O-R-I-S-S-A underscore Reinhardt. So you can go follow her as well. Um, She mentioned it, but you can pre-order the book, local bookstores, Mm -hmm. all that good stuff. And I think that's it. Yeah, comes out next week, just over
1: $30. Go buy it. Go. And then give it to your World War II dad.
0: Give it to your World War II grandpa. Get it yeah. for everyone you know. Yeah, let's talk about Dickie Chappelle again. Yeah, I agree. And we'll oh. be back next Monday for another episode. Mm-hmm. Bye.